0: And if, if we were in Colorado, pot would have a different, <laughs> we'd, we'd have like thousands of people here for that. And performance, now I, I want to say this, um, you might be thinking about a talent show and before. I think we have Danny Thompson either to thank or blame for the idea. Um, but we've done this once before, and I want to be, I'm, I'm serious, if you have any sort of talent whatsoever, right, if you're like, I sing opera, perfect. If you would say, I can do a hula hoop while juggling flaming things, perfect. It, regardless of what the talent might be, I'm telling you, we want you to come and be part of this talent show. And we're going to have um, our own, um, what's the, uh, Liberty's Got Talent is what we're going to call it. And who's the guy with America's Got Talent? Is it Simon, the guy that's kind of like, he just says like, no, you're terrible, go home? right? Will Perkins is going to be our very own Simon. <laughs> He's going to MC this thing, right? And if you can impress him, then you win. That's all, all there is to it. Um, we did do this once before. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, I didn't know Matt played the harmonica until that evening. Um, and so uh, there's all sorts of things that you don't know that your friends in this very room can do until you come and witness it here firsthand. There will be no uh, video uh, a recording aloud that evening, and so you can come, and I'm being very serious. We do want you to uh, think of something um, that, uh, that you could uh, participate in here together on that evening. It's a lot of fun, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I'm going to read verses 17 through 24. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him, this is my rule in all the churches. As I read through this, let me uh, ask you to notice how many times Paul is going to talk about called and calling. Okay, that word is used, uh, or a derivative of that word is used 10 times. In fact, I, th- this excites me, so I want to point it out here. At the end of verse 17, this is my rule in all the churches. The word for churches, ecclesia, is called ones, called out ones. Okay, so now let me start over. Look for the word called. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all of the assemblies of the called out ones. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Yes, there was an actual surgical procedure that could be done that some were utilizing. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. And each of you should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freed man in the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a slave of Christ. You were bought with a price. That that theme is being repeated throughout 1 Corinthians. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. So, brothers and sisters, in whatever condition each was called, there, let him remain with God. Father, please help us to understand the truths from your word, from this passage here together this morning. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen. This morning, we're going to talk about living your calling, living your calling from 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If I were to ask you the simple question, who are you? How would you answer that question? Who are you? Who are you? There's a lot of different ways that we might begin to answer that question. Many of us would begin by describing what we do, right? We'd start with kind of our occupation. Well, I'm I'm a pastor, and I'm 45, and these are the things that I do. Where we're from, or what our family is like, that sort of thing. But There's also another way to answer that question that really focuses in on our spiritual identity, who who we are in Christ. And some of you, if you were asked that question, you might even begin with an answer similar to something like that, right? You'd say, Well, I'm I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. But I don't know that very many of us would start by describing ourselves with the words, I'm a slave. I'm a, I'm a slave. I'm actually a slave. I'm a slave to a master. I'm a slave to Jesus Christ. This, in this passage, is, is part of what Paul is reminding these Corinthian believers that you can remain in the position that you are because ultimately you are, you're a slave. You're a slave of Christ. Here's the main point this morning and then we're going to unpack it as we go. And the main point I try to come up with just really simple, really easily remem- memorable um, main points because I think that's, that's what God does with His Word is He gives us easy, simple, memorable things. And this morning, I struggled to come up with something that I thought uh, was as simple. I wish this was maybe a little clearer, a little simpler, but I do believe this gets across the point of the, this passage this morning. You have been called to obedient contentment in Christ. You have been called to obedient contentment in Christ. And you might read that or hear me say that and go, yeah, religious word, religious word, religious word, religious word. Yeah, yeah. Right, of course, we know that. Right, why are we here this morning? Well, let's walk through this together and see if God has something here for us. I think he does. I think it's important also to remember the context of this passage. We, we don't ever want to take a verse of Scripture and pull it out of where it's found in the Bible and just make it say whatever we want it to say. These Corinthians believers, we've been we've been learning about them for weeks now, several months now. These Corinthian believers, they didn't know what all it meant when they became followers of Jesus Christ. They weren't sure what to do with themselves. So much of the Old Testament, well, all of the Old, really all of the Bible is kind of written by Jewish people to Jewish people for the most part. Here, Corinthians is somewhat unique in that like, Paul's writing a letter to these pagan Gentiles. And these people didn't grow up with the scriptures. They're learning about a lot of different things, and they've got a bunch of questions. In fact, this book, the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing a letter. He's replying to a letter that the people at Corinth had written to him. And they're asking questions like, well, I'm married, but since maybe if marital intimacy is bad. Should I avoid that? Like, I'm not going to do that right. Now that I'm a Christian, I'm not supposed to do those sorts of things anymore. You say, really? Are they asking that? Yeah. In verse one of this same chapter, they're asking that question. Others are, others, others are asking, well, am I supposed to, um, uh, you know, my spouse and I, uh, I just came to know Christ. I'm a follower of Jesus now, but my, my spouse is not a follower of Jesus. Am I supposed to stay married to them? And Paul says, yes, you're supposed to stay married to them. And they have questions about, well, I know circumcision was part of this Old Testament religion thing. And now that I'm a Christian, I'm an adult man. Am I supposed to engage in this practice? And, and, and to, the uncircumcised, to, to those who had been circumcised, they're wondering, well, am I supposed to undo my circumcision? And those who are slaves are wondering, well, now that I'm a Christian, I don't have to be a slave anymore, right? And those who are free are wondering how to uh, how to live their lives. And the singles are wondering if they sh- can get married. And the married are wondering if they should get unmarried. And the widows are wondering, well, I've been married and now I'm not. What am I supposed to do? And I want us to hear in Paul's message to us this morning this. Relax. Relax. Stay like you are. Remain as you are. God's got you. You're, you're okay. You don't, because you've been saved, doesn't mean you have to change your social circumstances. It it doesn't mean that you can't change your social circumstances, but it doesn't mean that you have to. I'm going to use this main point this morning kind of as the outline for the sermon. We're going to, first of all, look at what it means to be called, and we're going to look at what it means to be obedient, and then what does it mean to be content, and what does it mean that we are in Christ? So You've been called to be obedient, uh, to obedient commitment in Christ. First of all, we've been called. Ten times in this passage, the word called is used. And, and when we use the word called, you almost immediately think, when I, when I say, what comes to your mind when I talk about being called? You can picture on your phone's screen the words spam risk, right? Like, oh, I think I'll take that call. No. We, but we know what it's like to be called, right? Our phone rings and it says spam risk, or it says political call, or it says the name of a friend, you can choose whether or not you're going to answer that call that is not at all what Paul is describing here what Paul is actually describing here the majority times 9 out of the 10 times in this passage Paul is describing the sovereign effectual salvific that means for salvation call of God and the life of someone who is dead in their trespasses and sins and the call brings them to new life in Christ. That's the call that Paul is referring to over and over in this passage. This call is not like the phone call you get on your telephone that you can choose to take or not. This call is like the call that Jesus gives to Lazarus when Lazarus is in the tomb and he's dead And people are saying, he's been in there a few days, he's going to be stinky. Don't, you know, what are you, And, and Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And dead Lazarus comes back to life and comes out. The spiritual call of God in the life of an unbeliever, bringing them to become a believer, is that kind of call. And, and this isn't the first place it's been named here in, in, uh, in these verses. If, if you'll remember back in chapter 1, verse 9, it says this, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. In that same chapter, verse 23, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and folly to the Gentiles. Well, so, so how does anybody get saved? Verse 24, but to those who are called, to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. This call is explained for us in in John chapter six, verse 44 and 45, it says this, where Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him or calls him. And I will raise him up on the last day. <coughs> Verse 65 of that same chapter. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. For those who come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, do you know why you went from death to life? Do you know how you went from deaf to hearing? Do you know how you went from blind to being able to see? Do you know how you went from being a follower of the uh, of the of the devil, of the prince of the power of this world, to being a follower of Jesus Christ, the giver of life. Do you know how that change happened? The call of God upon your life. The sovereign, effectual call of God in your life. And throughout this passage, Paul is saying, live as you're called, live as you're called. Don't you remember how you were called? The condition you were in when you were called? Over and over he describes this call, and it's important for us to understand that what he's primarily talking about is not your call to a vocation, not your call to, well, I'm a plumber, or I'm a teacher, or I'm a, you know, a, a, a builder, I'm, you know, butcher, baker, candlestick maker. That's not the call that's being referred to here. The call that's being referred to here is the call from death to life. This calling is where you and I go and have our identity changed. We once were followers of the evil one, and now we're followers of Christ. Some of you may remember a time in your life where there was a phone call, an actual telephone call that you received that changed your life significantly. Many of us remember things like this, right? A phone call that you received where you found out that someone that you love had passed away. A phone call that you received that told you that you got the job that you were desperately hoping that you would get or you got the contract that you hoped that you would get. Like, but the, a phone call that literally changed your life from that day forward. And for those who are called by God, that's a call that changes our life from that day forward. And so while this passage isn't primarily about how to know what vocation, what work God wants you to be in, this passage is, knowing, it is about knowing that your, your fundamental identity is that you've been called by God and changed by God. And you've been called, we've been called, the Corinthians have been called to a specific thing. Look at verses 18 and 19. Paul goes into this discussion here for a moment about circumcision, which seems really weird to us, right? What does this have to do with anything? Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Okay, again, you can equate call with being saved. Was anyone at the time of his salvation already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. Those things aren't what matters. This this right, this um, tradition that was part of being distinctly part of God's people for the Jewish nation. In Christ, all these laws have been fulfilled. This This is no longer part of marking oneself as a follower of Christ, as a follower of God. And so Paul is saying, look, this isn't part of how we identify. This isn't what it means to be a follower of Christ now. This isn't what matters. But he doesn't just leave them with, don't do that anymore. That's not what matters. He actually says, "Here is what matters. What matters, into verse nineteen, is keeping the commands of God. Obeying God with your life is what matters." The Corinthian believers were just like us. They're just like us. They wanted to know, "Okay, what do I have to do? What? Are, what give me the list. What are the things? What are the changes that I'm supposed to bring into my life in order to be a good a good Christian? I want to. I want things that I can." Kind of add on or take off. I want a, my list of good boy and good girl things, in order for me to know whether or not I'm actually pleasing to God. And, and here, they're being told, "Listen, what you were before you're saved—that's that's not what identifies you now. That's not what Christ has called you to. God wants obedience, and this is everything—not external obedience, but internal obedience." And friends, as one who is called by God, you are free now to obey. You're free to obey what God has called you to. You walked according to the power of this world, Ephesians chapter 2, and now you're free to obey. So how do we, verse 19, neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commands of God? How how do we today Keep the commands of God. How do we keep the commands of God? Well, we might start thinking through all the commands of the Old Testament and we might think, okay, I'm not sure that those are all the commands that I'm supposed to keep, right? People are trimming the corners of their beards. People aren't bringing goats to be sacrificed on Saturday, right? Like there's all kinds of laws that are in the Old Testament that we aren't keeping today. So what does God mean? And I I want to be as incredibly simple and easy, putting the cookies on the bottom shelf as, as much as I can be, because I think Jesus does this for us. Do you remember when, when Jesus is asked about the greatest commandment? Jesus says, here's the greatest commandment. You remember what he says? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the first and greatest commandment. And in fact, I'm gonna throw a bonus in there. The second one's just like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus himself does something that if I did without Jesus's approval, I would be accused of oversimplification, right? If Jesus hadn't told us, love God and love others, that's how you keep all the law and the commandments. If Jesus hadn't told us that, and I had just said, you know what? I think it's all can be summed up like that. You would say, Jeremy, that's an oversimplification of what Jesus has given us. Thankfully, Jesus oversimplified it for us. So how, how, how do we now, on this side of hit the cross, how do we obey God? Friends, we obey God. We fulfill what Christ has called us to in verse 19. We keep the commandments of God very simply by loving God and loving others. This is how you obey. Now, we could preach a sermon series on that. For sake of time, in order to keep moving here this morning, we're going we're gonna to carry on. The Corinthian believers were called to keep the commands of God, and, and their, their responsibility, like ours, was to, was to love God and love others. Loving God is the idea of, of you and your personal relationship with God, you growing, we would call that sanctification. Loving others is, is helping others grow through discipleship. This is, this is what we're to do. So, so by way of application, how do we obey God's command's here where we are. Well, it means that you're a cowboy who loves God and love, loves others. And you're a farmer who loves God and loves others, and you're a housewife who loves God and loves others, and you're a schoolteacher who loves God and loves others, and you're a single young person who loves God and loves others, and you're a little kid who loves God and loves others, and you're an old kid who loves God and loves others. And there's all sorts of ways that that applies. But this is how we, as called ones live in this world. We don't start adding physical things to make changes because our heart has been changed. We now follow. Um, we, we now obey God's commands by loving God and loving others. And don't worry. Don't wonder whether or not you can obey God where you are. You, you can. You don't need new circumstances you don't need these circumstances in order to obey God. Unless, unless the circumstances that you're saved out of are themselves bad circumstances, right? Imagine the cult prostitute in Corinth, right, who gets saved. I mean, I think at some point someone's going to say, you know what, we should probably look for a new job for you. That's, that's probably going to be part of what God does intend to be part of the change for you. Yes. Otherwise, God is saying, Paul is encouraging them, look, just as you were called, remain as you were called, and obey. Obeying is more important than these, than these external rituals. So they were called to obedience, but they were also called to contentment. Paul tells another story here in verses 21 and 22. He, he uses circumcision, and circumcision in verses 19, 18 and 19. He uses free, uh, freedom and slavery in verses 21 and 22. Were you a slave when called? then do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a slave. What, what is Paul getting at here? Slaves are encouraged because they've been set free in Christ. Free men are humbled because they're told, Hey, listen, you're, you're actually a slave. In Christ, we can, we can hear the words, remain as you are. Let me, let me show you something that I think is kind of cool in this passage. Verse 17, verse 20, and verse 24, all are saying the same thing. Verse 17, 20, and 24 are where Paul is saying, remain as you've been called, remain as you've been called, remain as you've been called. You've been called. Verses 18 and 19 are verses about circumcision, verses 20 and 22, are verses about um, about slavery, verses 21 through 23, rather, are verses about slavery. But but three times, it's like Paul, as he's walking them through, he reiterates three different times. In verse 17, at the beginning, in the middle, and at the end, remain as you're called, remain as you're called, remain. This Even this little passage has a structure to it. One, one pastor described it like a Big Mac, right? The three slices of bread are the... Verse 17, verse 20, and verse 24, here's the, here's the commands. And in between those three slices of bread are two, two separate illustrations explaining what this might look like. Some of you are like, a Big Mac, I don't even know. Uh, I have no idea what you're talking about. If that illustration didn't help you at all, I'm sorry. Remain as you are. Now he's telling the story about slavery. The context here, remember, we, we're, we're in a world. Corinth was a place where there were slaves and there were free men. Now, as when we think about slavery today, slavery is like this big hot button issue, right? Like we when we think about slavery, we rightfully think about the you know, the slave trade a couple hundred years ago here as part of our American history and we all look on with horror at that. And here Paul is saying, were you a slave when you were saved? Don't be concerned about it. Can you imagine? What, Paul? Hold on a second. Here you have perfect, you have opportunity to say something really significant and really important about slavery, and you wimp out on us. You, you blow it. You don't, you don't help us at all. Friends, Paul is, do, Paul is being so incredibly helpful for slaves in this moment. Because he's showing them that being a Christian is not dependent on your outward circumstances. It's not. You can be a wonderfully passionate Christian who has all the joys of Christ on them and in them regardless of your circumstances. Now, I will say this. The slavery of this era, there were horrible abuses like when we think of slavery, but there was also what we would know as indentured servitude. There were slaves who lived very well. There were educators. There were lawyers. There were doctors who were part of this indentured servitude, where they literally were slaves to another master, but they were well taken care of. And in fact, their families were able to survive because they had the, the benevolence of of someone who was richer and stronger and wealthier, um, who, who owned them, who literally owned them and took care of them. And I've explained that in, in previous sermons in the past. Um, I won't take any more, more time with that this morning. So it's not apples to apples, the same thing that we think of today. There were horrible abuses. Um, but Paul here is saying, listen, if you if you're a slave when you're called, don't, don't worry about it. If you're able to gain your freedom, great, avail yourself of the opportunity if, if you want that. But being a slave, being a slave is not what would ever keep one from being a Christian. Slavery, slavery is not what keeps one from being a Christian. Sorry, I got off my, my notes here for a second. And yet, I think we still do need to feel the weight of what God is saying here. You aren't where you are doing what you're doing by mistake, even if you're a slave. You aren't where you are doing what you're doing in the job you're in, in the town you're in, in the marriage you're in. You're not where you are by mistake. The language used in this passage is that it's your, it's your assignment. Look in verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has, has assigned to him. No circumstance, one pastor says this, no circumstance, no matter how terrible, no matter how terrible or painful or unjust can keep us, from being in every sense a Christian. There there is no set of circumstances on the planet that we could face that could keep us from being a Christian. Now, just because we're wealthy, independent, western Texas Americans, we struggle with that, right? Don't tread on me. You can have my gun when you take it out of my cold, dead hands, right? Like, that's the way, and we kind of think, like, that's part of Christianity. Well... I don't want you taking my guns away from me either. But did you know you can be a Christian without guns? You can, be a, you can be a Christian. One pastor who I highly respect says this, Christians can be Christians in a democracy or a dictatorship or even under anarchy. We can be Christians whether we're a man or a woman or a child Whether we're married or single, whether we're divorced or Jew, whether we're Gentile or slave or free, we can be Christians in Russia or the United States, in Cuba or China, in France or Japan. Whatever we are and wherever we are, we can be Christians. So just because God has changed you spiritually does not mean that He will change your circumstances. Again, think about the history of humanity. Think about the history of Christianity throughout the ages. There there have been so many people who have lived in horrible conditions or oppressive conditions under horrible governments or in the most extreme of poverty who lived glorious Christian lives. If you're a slave, when you're called, don't be concerned about it. I'm afraid many people think that in order to really in order to really live for Christ, I, I have to I have to be something different than I am now. Okay, I'm getting really serious about wanting to serve Christ, so that means I have to be a missionary or worse, a pastor. That's the, I mean, like, that's what people, when they really get called and they really get saved and they're really going to live for Jesus, then you've got to do something. Oh, man, I, I don't know if I love Jesus that much. No, friends, listen. God, God was calling people in Corinth, and you know who he was calling? He was calling some free men and women. He was calling some slaves. He was calling some divorced people he was calling some people that were married, he was calling some single people, and he was calling all of those different kinds of people, some Gentiles, some Hebrews, he was calling all those different kinds of people on purpose. He didn't just go and find a bunch of white dudes and say, I'm going to make you guys Christians, and this is where it's going to, this is it, right? Go get a bunch of guns and move to Texas, right? Sounds appealing to many of us. That is not, oh man, that is not Christianity. Thankfully, I think you can do those things and still be a Christian. I, I'm a white dude with guns in Texas, so, uh, you know, it's no surprise. You, you're supposed to be obedient and content where you are. Obedient and content where you are. Again, okay, with some of these thoughts in our heads, let's just, let me just read verses 17, 20, and 24. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. How do you know what the Lord has assigned you? What, what are you doing right now? That, there you go. That's how you know. And to which God has called him. This, this is my rule in all of the churches. What he's saying is I teach this everywhere. Th- this isn't like just for the Corinthians. This is for everybody. Each of you should remain in the condition in which he was called. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let him remain with God. Now, this doesn't prohibit changing jobs, right? Obviously, slaves, you can get your freedom, grab your freedom. It, it, It does prohibit changing jobs or assuming that I have to do something radically different because I've been called by God. Remain as you are. Remain content. So you're to remain as you're called and be obedient. You're to remain as you're called and be content. And remember that all of this is because you're in Christ. This brings me to point number four in Christ. You are a bondservant of Christ. You've been bought with a price. Look at verse 23. You were bought with a price. You were bought with a price. There. Uh, yesterday, I spent $1.39 buying a package of candy for my son, Abraham. He ate the candy, threw the wrapper on the floor of my truck, and that was it. Oh, he picked it up. <laughs> Thank you for picking it up. I, I, you're right, I didn't notice it that it was in there by the time we got home. That was, that was worth coming this morning. I, I didn't pay much for it. It got eaten. I don't care. Like that's a price. That candy was bought with a price, but who cares? There there are other things that I've paid more money for. Right. I, I constantly use Angie's wedding ring as an example, right? Like to that point in my life that was the most expensive single item I'd ever purchased, right? And now that that was that was bought with a price and that was significantly more valuable. That was far more important than the candy that I bought yesterday, right? I spent very little money on the candy yesterday. I spent a lot of money on the wedding ring. It was bought with a price. Friends, when, when you are brought into the family of God, there was a price paid for you, a price of infinite value, right? There's, there's nothing, um, when we were in England this, uh, this last summer, we saw the crown jewels of England, and uh, there was, a, there was a, um, a tour guide talking about them at one point, and he said something to the effect of, they're truly priceless, they're, like, they're not for sale. We would, like, no one could ever bring enough money and say, hey, I'd like to buy the crown jewels of England. Like, they're, they're at that level, they're priceless. He said, but I think, like, maybe they're valued at $6 billion or $8 billion. I forget, or maybe he said $60 billion. It was some, like, ridiculous, ridiculous number, right? And we actually got to see them, and they are incredible, right? But, but all of that can still have a financial value, a monetary value kind of uh, given to it, ascribed to it. But, but the Bible describes us as bought with the very blood of Jesus Christ. It demanded the life of our Savior, Jesus Christ, being given. And Him bearing the wrath of God against sin to make those of us who deserve to receive that wrath, to make us acceptable in His sight, to bring us back to God. So, so to, to read a phrase, you were bought with a price. I mean, many of us who've been Christians our whole lives, we read a phrase like that, and it's it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't, uh, it doesn't uh, what's so like rumble with significance. When we read that phrase, like there's not a pause sila moment for us, but there should be. You've been bought with a price. You you actually belong to someone else. I feel like I mention this, this often, this, this idea of, of you belonging to someone else. First of all, I think one of the reasons I mention it often is because it's in the Bible a lot. right? It's in 1 Corinthians a lot. You don't belong to you. You don't belong to you. You aren't in charge of you. Now, you think that you're in charge of you. You, think you're, you act like you're in charge of you. You act like you're in charge of other people. But you aren't in charge of you. You are not the ultimate authority in your life. You have been purchased. You're bought with a price. And whether you are or aren't a slave of man, you are a slave to God. And this this idea that you don't belong to you, that you belong to Christ, it needs to confront you if you don't feel a little bit like, I don't like it when Jeremy says that, then I'm not saying it right, or you're not hearing it right. Like, when I say you're not in charge of you, there should be a part of you that goes, I don't like that. I don't like what he's saying right there. Because the gospel does confront that impulse. See, what, what, what many people in this Western-styled American Christianity that we can't help but have grown up in, most of us, not all of us, but most of us. What, what we do is we've added, we've added a little bit of Jesus to our lives because it makes good business sense to do so. Most view Christian morals as kind of a, a good thing, right? Right? Christians are conservative politically and, you know, it'd be nice to go to heaven instead of hell when all of this is over. And so, you know what? I'm going to add some Jesus to my life. I'm doing a pretty good job of of kind of managing my life right now, right? And I'm kind of making some money and I've got a wife and I've got some kids and, we're you know, we've been able to take some great vacations and you know, and uh, you, it's a, it, I think it would be a good thing for me to add some Jesus to this as well. And we'll kind of keep, we'll keep that box most Sundays when it's convenient. And I'm not pointing fingers at anyone in here. You're here this morning, okay? So if you know someone who's not here this morning, let's think about them for a second. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No. You may need to think about you this morning. That's, that's not Christianity. Because who's wearing the crown? Who's the king of that scenario? You are. You're still on the throne. You're still the boss. You're still the wise guy, the smart one, the powerful one making the decisions. And you've added a little bit of Jesus. And when Christ comes to a man, when Christ takes a dead man and makes him alive again, he takes that sinful the the, the, the crown that that man has been wearing in his self-proclaimed rebellion against God, and, he, and Christ puts the throne, or, or well, we put the crown back on the head of Christ and say, you're in charge. You've redeemed me with, his, with your blood. You've bought me at a price. I'm yours. I'm submissive to you now. You're in charge, not me. True Christianity is that you are a slave. True Christianity is that you are a slave. Listen, to the best master in the universe. Imagine, imagine this made-up scenario for a second. Imagine what it would be like to serve the wisest, wealthiest, most powerful master in history that the world has ever known, whoever, whoever that might be. You get to be the servant of the wisest, wealthiest, most powerful master in history. But it's not just that you get to serve him, but you actually now, you've served him, you actually have you have relationship with him. You have relationship with him, and he loves you. And he has declared, listen, you're my servant, but all that I have is yours to enjoy. Now, now, some of you have a lot of stuff, but if you have a lot of stuff, right? There's wealthy people in here, and all of us are wealthy. If you're in here this morning, you're wealthy. Some of you are wealthier than others in here, right? And some of you have a lot of stuff. You have lots of houses and lands, But if you have lots of houses and lands in here, do you know what you also have? The worry (laughs) and the upkeep and the insurance and the fretting as to whether or not you get to keep the stuff. Whether you're still going to have enough stuff to take care of the stuff that you have. But imagine being able to enjoy and really feel like you own everything, but someone wiser, wealthier, more powerful than you is actually the one who owns all of that. He loves you, and all that he has is yours. His work for you, his work for you sometimes isn't easy, but it's backed by all of his resources, all of his wisdom, all of his money, all of his power are at your disposal. He brings them to you. Your future is absolutely certain because you've actually even been adopted into this master's family. It's humbling to be a slave. But when this master is the God of the universe, it's a glorious thing to be a slave. So who, who you are in Christ, you've been, you've been bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let him remain. Is that how the verse ends? Look in verse 24. Brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain. Is that the end of the verse? No, no, that's not not the end of the verse. Let him remain with God. Let him remain with God. Friends, you can be obedient and content in the assignment that God has for you with God. Remain as you are in Him. You can be obedient and content with Him, regardless of your vocation. And I was inclined, I was tempted to talk about vocation in this sermon. I've even got some notes in here about vocation and how to choose vocation. I'm going to save those for a different time. Remain as you are in Him. Let me give you four points of application for conclusion here this morning. We're almost done. I listened to an old sermon from back in the 80s, and one pastor that I was using to study helped me with these four points of application. Number one, from this passage, God is more concerned with the way you do your job now than whether you get a new job or what your job is. God does care about what job you have. God does care about whether or not you're going to get another job. It is okay, that's gonna be point number two here in a second, or point number three. It's okay for you to find a different job. But listen, more important than what job you're in or what job you're pursuing is how you're doing your work now. Are you, and by that I mean, are you obedient? And are you content? If you're not obedient now, you won't be obedient in a different job. And if you're not content now, you won't be content in a different job. I promise. I've been there and done that. There are other people in here who will affirm that truth, right? They've been poor, they've been rich, they've been everything in between. Obedience to God is not dependent on one's circumstances, contentment in the Lord is not dependent on one's circumstances. Number two. The command to live as you are called is not an absolute command to never change jobs. The command to live as you are called is not an absolute command to never change jobs. I hope that's obvious even from this passage, right? If you're a slave and you have opportunity to gain your freedom, go for it. Number three, for younger people who have not yet entered a profession, the implication of this text is this. When you ask yourself, what is God's will for my life? What is God's will for my life? What, what should my vocation be? Listen, his will is that I maintain close fellowship with him and devote myself to obeying his commands. We sometimes get so distracted on trying to figure out what God hasn't made clear while we disobey what God has made clear. Right? Obey and be content. Ah, fooly on that. I want to know what God's ultimate calling in my life is. What's my job supposed to be? Well, he hasn't, he hasn't made that clear, right? I think uh, we were talking, uh, Matt and Will and I had breakfast together yesterday morning. We were talking about this passage a little bit, and there was an old, who said, love God and do what you want? Augustine, old, old dead, smart theologian. Love God and do what you want. Has God called you to be a, uh, a mechanic? I don't know. Do you, do you like, Are you good at working on cars? Okay, I'm not. I don't think God's called me to be a mechanic, right? Um, has God called you to obey him and be content in him? Yes. Are you good at being a mechanic? Great. Go obey God and be content in him as a mechanic. That's a great idea. There's a lot more we could say about that. Number three. Third, or, uh, sorry, number four. And finally, this text implies that the job you have now As long as you are there, is God's assignment to you. You might be thinking, am I missing God's assignment to you? No. Unless you are actively seeking to disobey Him, you're not missing God's assignment to you. So you are called, friends. You're called. So remain as you are. Remain as you are obedient, remain as you are content, and remain as you are in Him. And if He has a new assignment for you, He will make that clear to you. Let's close in prayer, then we'll sing a song together. Father, thank you for helping us know that our obedience and contentment are not dependent on our life circumstances, that just because we have become a Christian, we don't have to change occupations, that we can be farmers and teachers and lawyers and dentists and high school students and elementary school students without changing our circumstances and be perfectly in your will for our lives and and fulfilling your calling in our lives. Father, if there's someone here this morning who is hearing your call in their lives, but they've never yet put their faith and trust in you, God, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. Father, as we conclude this service this morning, I pray that we would be thankful that we get to be slaves to the greatest master in the universe we pray these things in your son's name jesus amen let's stand and we'll sing together what gift of grace is jesus my redeemer there is no more for heaven now to give joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold my